0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information. But don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey Shannon, how are you?
0: Pretty good. Just getting posters ready for the Lunar and Planetary Science Conference, the 50th anniversary one. I know you wish you were going
1: i do i'm, I'm quite jealous I've, i just can't put another trip in the schedule right now
0: oh i know i've already talked to jake from we martians we've already set up our beer drinking and poster viewing date and uh yeah i'm real excited
1: <laughs> awesome so you guys are going to record a joint episode there right
0: oh sure right there in the post. <laughs> right there in the poster session it'll be great audio
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> actually it'll be a lot like the nerds on draft audio is what i imagine so maybe we will
1: Yeah, poor poor nerds on draft before they went on hiatus. They were uh, continuously encumbered by (laughs) motorcycles and all kinds of things going by.
0: Uh, that's part of the ambiance of the of the whole thing, though, you know.
1: It's true, though. When I was recording a screencast earlier this week, I had to deal with uh, we had somebody. I don't know if they were testing out like a dirt bike or just got (laughs) it or what, but they kept doing loops around the neighborhood. So I had to time. I got these forty-five second. Chunks.
0: Oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's worse than editing this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I I feel you. Uh, we live very close to Tinker Air Force Base, and so I'm surprised that we don't hear more crazy AWACS going over our house um, while we're recording. But if you do hear a low rumble, that's what it is. <laughs> right,
1: just a uh, electronics counter surveillance
0: plane. Uh, right. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> i often wave at them because i know they're looking
1: <laughs> right
0: <laughs> <laughs> i won't say what i wave with it's fine
1: <laughs> yeah so uh i was supposed to be recording this from chicago tonight
0: uh yeah you're not in chicago are you
1: <laughs> i'm not uh we had a blizzard warning exciting and a blizzard subsequently excellent uh so got to the airport it was one of four flights on the board that was not canceled and we made it up until they were lining folks up to board when they shut her down because we had very very high winds Mm -hmm. uh poor poor visibility with blowing snow and as it turns out a pilot at 30 odd thousand feet flying over the denver area reported severe turbulence so severe that it almost stalled the aircraft Uh
0: oh that's like my worst nightmare i can't even talk about it (laughs) Oh, Th- That's gosh. That's where
1: everybody's grabbing the barf bags.
0: Oh, yeah. That's intense. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> I was reminded of I don't know if, uh, listeners who've seen the movie Hunt for Red October. <laughs> but... When he's flying out in the helicopter and the pilot's talking about, it's very bad turbulence, and the pilot's <laughs> talking about all this turbulence, eating a Snickers bar, like, oh, this is nothing compared, everyone was blowing chunks. That's and
0: <laughs> a, uh, Industrial waste puke is actually what they referred to it as. I'm very familiar with that scene. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, chunks on the radio, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, that, that's
1: what I'm imagining from that flight.
0: Oh, man, those poor people, I wonder where they got off. <laughs> and- and looked like that afterwards. Oh, terrible. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, but yes, I didn't, uh, didn't leave, so I'm here and still uh, packing the house, which if anybody in the uh, you know, Boulder metro area wants to buy a house, ours is going to go on the market next week.
0: I thought you were going to ask if anyone wanted to come help you pack, and I thought, no, no one wants to do that ever.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think I'm the only household that they've moved where there's been a bunch of crated items. <laughs> and then also boxes that say things like contents, X-band radar, sensors, <laughs> laser stock.
0: <laughs> I hope you have one box that says metal bowls or lightning detector. Who knows? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Of course, I mean, there is an awfully large concentration meteorologist right there. So maybe you're not. I'm just saying. <laughs>
1: i did enjoy after the the movers came and you know estimated the weight on everything uh which was pretty hard considering there's a lot of heavy equipment here mm-hmm. uh he called me after he left and he goes i forgot to ask none of those blocks were full of rocks were they I was like, well I mean, of, of, of course a couple of them are
0: that's a matter of fact sir <laughs> oh dude probably thought he was just being funny and then you're like nope <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think he, uh, after leaving, just said, okay, we're going to quote the maximum weight because I have no idea how much this weighs, and I don't either.
0: Uh, Oh, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm certainly glad that you're not moving from here and I have to help you. I'm just saying. I love you, but not that much. Right. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I mean, well, speaking of trips and boxes of rocks that was really the uh impetus for what we're going to talk about today
1: (laughs) yeah so you took a trip
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i sure did
1: (laughs) and on this trip you saw something and said that would make a great podcast episode and i said it sure would because i don't remember all the details of that from when i had (laughs) an undergrad geology um
0: i didn't know any of the details of this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I All did, right. yeah i read several papers over the last couple of days and it's actually really intriguing so yeah we're going to talk about petrified wood
1: <laughs> or if you want to sound fancy silicified wood
0: Ooh, i know i like that a lot <laughs> um yeah they don't use the words petrified wood in the literature i think it's too non-jargony so we wouldn't be caught dead calling it that right <laughs>
1: Right, we have to we have to throw in some big words.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so if anyone's ever had petrified wood, it's just wood that's basically made of silica. But it's the whole process isn't as basic as that. Um, so like you said, I was out in Arizona, and we were walking around, and in the unit that we were looking at, there were lots of pieces of petrified wood, and it was super cool because petrified wood's a really—well, it's kind of rare— Actually, Because if you think about, you know, burying a piece of wood and turning it into rock, that's not the most common of things that can happen. Um, but it's also really cool because it's different than most fossils, right?
1: Yeah. And I must say, though, I remember hearing some of the details of this in a class. I, it, it was hard to sink in for me that this used to be wood yeah we still call it wood it's not wood but it has the exact same form down to the molecular level
0: yeah how weird is that how weird that rock can preserve something like that so i mean a lot of fossils are like a type of replacement that happens a lot so you see you know you've got a fossil shell or something like that um that's replacement but you don't generally record that level of detail in these fossils sometimes but not generally and then also the lots of fossils are just casts or molds so pieces where you know there was a shell and you can see the imprint in the rock and so this is that complete replacement of organic matter with silica um it's (laughs) I am going to throw some jargon because it's (laughs) very cool science and a really cool sort of thermodynamic Process of making this. So it's like a type of neomorphism. So what does that mean?
1: (laughs) So This this is like in the movie, right?
0: Right. Yeah, exactly like in the movie. Just take this blue pill and you'll understand wood (laughs) (laughs) Um, So neomorphism is a wet metamorphic Diagenetic process. There's a lot of jargon we're gonna unwrap Uh, Where one mineral gets replaced by another mineral creating a polymorph in this case though It's a mineral placing an organic compound Okay, so let's unpack what metamorphic diagenetic process. So metamorphism is something where the atoms of a crystal, a rock, can get rearranged into new forms using the same chemistry. Okay.
1: Right. So this would be... A sandstone getting metamorphosed is an example.
0: Right, exactly. Or like, um, more specifically, like a limestone, if you heat it up a lot and raise the temperature, it turns into marble. Exact same chemical composition, sort of different crystalline structures, though. Okay? So that's that's kind of what we're doing here. I say kind of because we're doing organic matter to rocks. Um, And it's creating a polymorph, which means it's now silica but it looks like wood (laughs) and if you've seen petrified wood it looks exactly like wood
1: so hold on we skipped a word in there though so what we got metamorphic we got diagenetic process (laughs) yeah i did skip that
0: so now this word although it is jargony it actually encompasses a lot of geology and all the word diagenetic or diagenesis as a process means is everything that happens to a rock after it's deposited so as soon as it becomes a rock anything that happens to it afterward is something that has happened to it diagenetically or after it became a rock
1: right so everything that happened to you after you have been born is Mm -hmm. a diagenetic
0: yes process exactly (laughs) that is right so The wood, while I said it's kind of like neomorphism, it's because the wood wasn't deposited as a rock. It's deposited as an organic matter. But it does get buried and deposited much like a sediment and then changed. So that's what I mean by diagenetically altered. Right.
1: Right. And (laughs) to make this work, this has got to be pretty fast because as anybody that has built uh, anything out of wood – and put it outside, knows unless you protect it, it starts to rot. And I don't think anybody was running around a couple hundred uh, thousand years ago with <laughs> a can of bare uh, wood protection.
0: Uh, I mean, it looks like it once you dig up these fossilized pieces, but yes, exactly, you're right. So these things have to be near instantaneous. So basically, you're killing these trees in a fairly catastrophic way in order to preserve them. And then turn them into silica and then find them x millions of years later
1: right so this would be a catastrophic wet metamorphic diagenetic process
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly i think we can get at least 12 words to describe this by the end okay so we'll see how we can do
1: <laughs> all right so how <laughs> where do we see this obviously we don't see it as today a tree falls and tomorrow we dig up petrified wood
0: right exactly um but what's really cool and i didn't really actually realize this uh, we see them all throughout the rock record um the petrified wood that i found and brought home um is only about four million years old and it's a baby i I know (laughs) and it's like my god only four million years like i'm surprised that wood that it would already be petrified actually that's kind of what i figured is that we wouldn't have that young of wood that would already be petrified um but we'll talk about that um but we see it all the way back to the mid-paleozoic um and we'll talk about the oldest petrified wood here at the end once we understand more about the process
1: right so the process we've said that you have to fall the tree quickly and bury it fast that so doesn't decay mm-hmm. so to bury it you need something to bury it in. So to me, that means you probably gonna need a lot of sediment.
0: Right. So something catastrophic because you got to bury it fast because if you don't bury it fast, just like you said, maybe you preserve the bottom part of it. But if all that stuff is open to the air, you're going to get something living in there because that's what biology does, right? Life finds a way. <laughs> and so it'll get in there. So what are some catastrophic processes that you can think of that produce lots of sediment?
1: Well, the first one that comes to mind is our favorite answer for things in geology, a volcano.
0: <laughs> Man, it, I think if I knew now what I knew then, I would totally not be a sedimentologist. I would completely be a volcanologist <laughs> because volcanoes are responsible for everything. Everything. Right? Everything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, I mean, you get ash falling out over large areas, which is sediment, mm-hmm. or you can get a pyroclastic flow, which will fell the forest and cover it instantaneously.
0: Exactly and most importantly all that volcanic junk that buries these forests or a single tree in some cases it provides the silica that we're going to need to turn the stuff into petrified wood.
1: Right. Right. So So well volcanoes are a good answer but Let's say that we just have a generic tree falling in the forest. (laughs) Yeah. What are the other ways we could do this?
0: I mean, we could do it. you got to think about tons of sediment, right? So what moves tons of sediment? You know, rivers. You could get landslides and things like that. That would definitely do it in, like, higher topography um, because a lot of these forests are... And we'll talk about this later when we talk about the oldest. They're kind of swampy trees that are getting preserved in some cases. Because remember, we said cellular level detail. So we can go back and know exactly what type of trees these are. Um, And so, you know, swampy stuff is normally anoxic anyway. So if you have a lot of things dying in a swampy environment and just common burial, the kind of common burial that makes coal could do it. Uh, You could cover that up with a bunch of river sediments, and then you've got a source for your silica. You could cover those swamps up with a bunch of ash. Same thing, volcanics, you know. Um, Maybe near a beach, but you got to get the right sort of environment where you have trees near beaches to get that done because there's a lot of sedimentation that goes on right along that ocean line right there. Um, So it's not just volcanoes, but they're the easiest answer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then. You mentioned something that also sounds like it would be important, which is you said these swampy environments are often anoxic.
0: hmm Right.
1: And so without oxygen, you're not going to get decay. So that seems important.
0: Right. Exactly. So bury it fast or bury it with no oxygen. Those are your only choices to preserve something like a tree. I mean, it's <laughs> it's crazy how far we've come finding fossils, right? I mean, we found these dinosaur bones. We didn't know what they were. Then they turned out to be dinosaurs, we figured that out. Um, Now we figured out that it turns out they had feathers, right? Because we found stuff, we found actually a couple years ago, a tip of a dinosaur tail that has feathers all over it. And it was covered in amber, which is tree sap. So that's a process that's anoxic and both very fast, right? It gets stuck in that sap, nothing can live inside that sap. There's no oxygen to decay Voila, you have dinosaur feathers Same thing in a swamp It's a real weird environment Because you think There's a whole lot of stuff that lives in the swamp But that water is so stagnant And at the bottom It's just There's no oxygen there So stuff gets preserved So we actually find lots of fossils Not just trees In swampy environments
1: Hmm Alright So we've got burial No oxygen What else do we need?
0: time, lots of time, <laughs> and in this case, lots of lots of time. So some diagenetic processes can be really fast, right? Um, if you bury a rock, which actually that could take a long time, but once you start moving fluids through it, you can do all kinds of stuff, which is great because this is my whole entire career <laughs> is looking at stuff that's happened to rocks after they've been buried. Um, so you have groundwater, right? Fresh groundwater that you may be drinking right right now or really gross groundwater as you go really far down, which we call basinal fluids. So really deep water fluids. So you've got water in all these rocks. Um, It can take a short amount of time for this water to start precipitating minerals or it can take a long time. And in the case of petrifying wood or silicifying wood, if you will... It, it really ranges in the terms of hundreds of thousands to millions of years. And it's a process. And we go through a couple of different steps to get there. Um, I don't know if that surprised me or not at how long it took. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to decide as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking maybe more along the lines of hundreds of to a thousand years, maybe.
0: Yeah, because I think... I think what surprised me is that you see such detail, even in these really old pieces of wood, that I thought that would mean it would have to be a fast process. Right. Does that make sense?
1: (laughs) It it does, because, I mean, the burial has to be very fast, so why wouldn't the rest of this process be fast as well?
0: Right, exactly, because it just seems like if you took millions of years to do this, you wouldn't preserve the things like the cellular structures. But I think this is where we talk about sort of the way it gets preserved um, is how they've been able to tell sort of the timing of it. So it's actually very traceable replacing this organic matter with silica. And so we use this word silica a lot. So I just want people to know if they haven't listened before um, because I'm sure we've talked about this. So silicon is the actual element Right. SI. Right. But when we say silica, what we mean is SiO2. So silicon loves oxygen a lot. It's true. (laughs) And they make these cool little silicon tetrahedron, which is like, you know, Si204. And they love that. And so the stability of the way this silica bonds together is sort of the story of petrified wood.
1: Yeah, and I definitely didn't realize, like you said, that there were multiple steps here. I just knew, okay, organic matter gets replaced by silicon, and we have petrified wood. Right. Uh, yeah. But that's, it's that's not. It, it, it's not quite that simple, and there are different forms that these silicon uh, tetrahedron or silica take on throughout this process.
0: Right. Um, So I recently went to my son's fourth grade class and in Oklahoma. This is the year they talk about earth science in a lot of detail. And what I did, I love this, it was so sneaky. So I took his rock collection, which was a whole bunch of quartz, both fakely colored and real colored. And I took it all and I passed them out to every kid in the class. And I said, I had a bucket at the front, one that said quartz and one that said not quartz. And I said, go up there and put your rock in the bucket. (laughs) And so the only one that made it in the quartz bucket were all the ones that were like white or clear. (laughs) And then everything else made it in the not-quartz bucket. But see, I was sneaky, and everything I picked out was a type of quartz. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things you learn in mineralogy, right, is the color is the least indicative thing of what a mineral (laughs) is.
0: exactly. And it's like, you know, they could have fought with me. But the point was, all this stuff looks so different. It was stuff like chert and chalcedony. It looks so different because those little bitty quartz crystals can take on different sizes depending on how they're formed. And that's the story of this fossilized wood. It starts off with sort of a less ordered and less stable version of silica and eventually over time it goes to the large chunky euhedral, very stable quartz crystals and that progression is opal a to opal ct to quartz
1: opal a and opal ct so those are ones that as a geophysicist i don't think about deal with anything
0: Right. And to tell you the truth, as a geologist, I don't think a lot about them either. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that I love opal. It's really pretty. <laughs> and I do know that opal, I mean, opal's that white sort of glimmery stuff that you can find that looks like, like, slime on rocks, really. I mean, it's beautiful, but it essentially is a type of ooze, like a silica ooze that forms on rocks in, with, diagenetically with their interaction with water. And so this silica ooze or polymers they talk about, but I like the word ooze better, is what, (laughs) that's the first thing that happens to these buried logs. So you've got a buried log, you got a whole bunch of groundwater that's gonna move through it. And in many cases, you've got some kind of sand above it or better yet, some kind of volcanics above it. And so this water is full of silica. It wants to get rid of its silica. And what it does, the very first thing, is this oozy type of silica gets in there and it replaces all the cell walls.
1: So these are the the really fine structures.
0: Exactly. And that's totally legit because opal A is really fine, tiny. I mean, it looks like ooze. It doesn't look like it's made up of crystals because they're so microscopic. So it totally makes sense that this oozy type of silicate is what's going to mimic these very fine structures. All
1: right, so we've got opal-A in these fine structures, and now you said the next thing is going to be opal-CT, which is just a more stable version of ooze?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. (laughs) Um, This is is interesting because this is something that I've seen in rocks, but I don't really, you know, talk about much but that's exactly it so it's not quartz yet it doesn't look like quartz in terms of structure but it's not opal a yet It's a little more solidified so that's exactly right um <laughs> one of the cool things about this process and one of the things that cemented this haha <laughs> a rock pun there in uh. my in my mind was when I took a class called diagenesis back from Dr. Tom Dewar's ages and ages ago he would talk about stability of minerals in different environments. And so this is one of those cases, but he talked about it in terms of ice cream. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. So you're, you're freezing ice cream? Is that the analogy?
0: No, no. Just your regular ice cream that you've already bought. Right. Oh, okay. So you've bought this fresh ice cream, right? It's nice and it's milky and it's delicious. Great. But what happens to that ice cream after it's set in the freezer for two weeks or a month? What does it start oh, to develop?
1: You get all those little uh, frost crystals on it and it tastes gross.
0: Right. And so that's not just like extra water that's in it. It's actually like the whole ice cream as a whole, the compound. It doesn't like to be stable in tiny little crystals. It wants to be in bigger crystals. And so it essentially, the ice cream recrystallizes into these big crystals because that's the stability in that pressure temperature environment that it, those ice creams want to be in.
1: So what you're saying is we need pressurized ice cream chests.
0: That's exactly right. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's ex- that would, yes, that would get rid of this. Or just eat your ice cream faster, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so instead of on the order of months, or weeks, you know, this is on the order of hundreds of thousands of years, but that's exactly what's going on with this whole quartz stability structure. And this very specific study traced this. In general, the older pieces of petrified wood were made of euhedral quartz. So that means like the stablest of the quartz is it looks like a quartz crystal. Um, and then the younger ones, were opal ct and the youngest ones were opal a
1: Hmm. all right so we we know that's the the chain then but all of these things are going to be i know we just said that color is the least indicative thing about a mineral (laughs) is but but stock plain opal or plain quartz is going to be clear or milky and I don't have a single piece of petrified wood that's clear or milky. A, a clear piece of petrified wood would be amazing.
0: Uh, yeah, it would be amazing because um, you'd have to get it under a microscope to see it. So maybe there is some. We just don't know it because we haven't looked under a microscope.
1: <laughs> yeah, so well, we, we have to have some some ion replacement happening.
0: Oh, yeah. We, I mean, we have to have
1: some aluminums or coppers or something like that. So where is this coming from?
0: Well, is it every, coming from the tree? Everywhere. Have you dug in the dirt before, John? <laughs> No, you're a geophysicist. I'm sorry. You have not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this isn't a perfect process, much like every process in geology, right? That's our end member talking about ice cream. But in reality, you've got a whole bunch of nasty organics, especially if you're in a swampy environment. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Don't drink swamp water, right? There's gross stuff in there. Right. (laughs) Um, And so we say, don't use color. But then again, we know what specific things make colors, right? So you could have water that has a whole bunch of silica. You've got to have that. But also volcanics. Volcanics have a lot of weird chemistry. Some volcanics are just crazy. And so this water that's percolating down through these volcanic layers, or even just the soil, is not just going to pick up Silica, it's going to pick up crazy stuff. like Copper, manganese, almost all petrified wood has a lot of aluminum in it. Um, And this is just because that's what a lot of lavas or ashes or pyroclastic flows have in them. And so whatever flavor you get, manganese, copper, lots of iron, right? I have a bunch of really red-looking petrified wood. Um, Yeah. Those are the things that add all those cool colors that you see.
1: All right, so now we have taken our wood to beautifully colored euhedral quartz uh but we also find some other things along with petrified wood commonly right
0: yeah so this was really interesting and i never thought about it mostly because i am not a hydrogeologist or hydrologist by any means and so i think in the absence of these big ash layers that have lots of silica in them they say where do you get Where do you get your silica, you know? There's no silica in groundwater. Well, there is, because along with some of this petrified wood, you find these little things called diatoms.
1: So what are diatoms?
0: (laughs) Have you ever bought diatomaceous earth to garden with? No? Uh, Yes. Okay, there you go. (laughs) So if you were to put that diatomaceous earth under a microscope, you would scream and run away. (laughs) (laughs) because diatoms are these little things that build their tests or their shells yeah we call them tests we're very jargon filled (laughs) out of silica and so they make all these super weird shapes it's like plankton sort of they make all kinds of crazy weird shapes and so you find them along with these groundwater deposits and so these little things that take silica out of water to make their tests there has to be water with a lot of silicon in it, or else they couldn't exist. So that's how you get little diatoms. And so you'll find these diatoms along with petrified wood very commonly. So you know, okay, whatever this groundwater was, tons of silica in it.
1: So as many things in geology, the answer came from little critters.
0: Yeah. Ugh, unfortunately, but that is true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: All right. So... Is that is that a good summary of the process of petrifying? I think so. Well, a piece it's the of wood?
0: summary as I understand it, because I don't know the intricacies between opal CT and opal A, because I am also not a crystal crystallographer. Um, but yeah, it's basically like ice cream. That's the summary.
1: Yeah, and I will point people to uh, I believe it was AVE on YouTube, uh, Arduino versus Evil. Oh, my goodness. Who had tried an experiment with some success trying to replicate a scientific paper that he saw, which did some other interesting wood chemistry, where you were breaking down, I think it was the lignin in the wood. Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. Anyway, it resulted in you take a a piece of plain old wood, I think he was using like a a one by, and it becomes clear, but it's still wood.
0: That's awesome.
1: So if you want to know a little bit more about wood chemistry, that video... Uh, might satisfy that curiosity and it's kind of fun to watch because like many things it doesn't work the first few times and then it sort of works like it's it's a good description of the scientific process and of trying to reproduce someone's paper
0: Uh, that's that's actually great that's a great teaching tool i think i'm totally gonna look that up now yeah (laughs) interesting um so at the beginning we said how old are these things because these ones that i found were super young but it turns out the oldest ones, this is actually kind of a cool story. Um, they were, paleontologists found this entire intact forest in this county in New York that I can't say.
1: <laughs> so Harry
0: I mean, I figured since you live near there, you'd know. Nope. <laughs> Skohari County? Someone will tell us, I hope. Uh, in New Send in York. your audio
1: comments to <laughs> Shannon
0: <laughs> Exactly <laughs> Skohari, I think that's better than yours was um, Oh, I'm the- <laughs> sure it <did. laughs> And so This was a known area for petrified stumps But not the actual logs And so it was very perplexing As to why there are all these stumps But no trees Because they already knew that this was really old 385 million years old actually So who was logging these trees Back <laughs> then that-
1: yeah, I think it, sounds, it sounds like uh, the loggers came through and didn't yeah, have exactly. a, a replant contract.
0: That's right. That's exactly what it sounded like back in the mid-Devonian. Um, so they were excavating the dam here neither, near these. Um, they're called the Gilboa Stumps. And they found an intact forest floor, the whole thing, laying there as they were excavating this dam.
1: So that must have been pretty exciting.
0: Can you imagine? So they start excavating this dam and these paleontologists go out there and they're like, Hey, and one of these was um a it was the state paleontologist, I think, for New York. And it's this, this woman who said, Can we just have a look here before you start filling this stuff in? And of course it's like every contractor's worst nightmare, right? <laughs> right. Now, now they found this super important fossil find and they can't can't keep working on this dam. But I mean, they found it so intact down to the levels of they could classify all these trees and they all are, they're like cypress trees kind of is what the classification of some of these are. So very sort of swampy type trees. Um, and they even could see silicified root structures of the trees.
1: That, that has to be like getting in a time machine and getting out and I know. walking around.
0: <laughs> I know. It's crazy. <laughs> And, and that's what they said. They're like, oh, well, that's why all these stumps were, because here's where they all fell down and got buried. Like how excited as a paleobotanist would you be to find this thing?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so they knew, now they know the types of trees these are. And this is not long after trees came on the scene, okay? So these are pretty young trees, but they're the ancestors of trees now. Like I said, they could even tell, you know, what types of trees they were. There were some weird root structures that they found, too, and some, like, symbiotic relationships between the different types of trees there. And then they could also tell, you know, that this was a wetland environment that was in a very tropical climate. So anoxia, lots of stuff getting buried, and therefore you can preserve these tiny, tiny structures.
1: And probably at much lower latitudes.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah what's cool about the age of these trees this mid devonian um what followed the mid devonian was a big ice age and then there were some things that died because the climate changed so fast what does that have to do with trees well what do trees do
1: well they have a lot to do with pulling out greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide
0: exactly i love this so trees evolved (laughs) And then so many trees evolved that they were all breathing and through photosynthesis pulled out so much carbon dioxide that they drew down temperatures enough to create an ice age.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, oops. <laughs>
1: this is one of those things where Earth tried an experiment and it got out of hand.
0: It's exactly. Like, oh, crap. Too much. Too much. Let's kill some stuff off it will start over again. Right. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened. So I think that's really neat to tell that story in the form of this um, petrified forest.
1: So if our listeners wanted to go see some petrified wood for themselves, at least in the United States, where could they do that?
0: Right. So I was looking at this unit called the Bullhead Alluvium in Arizona. Like I said, it's only about 4 million years old. But it's in a lot of places near the Colorado River. And you can find, I don't want to say it's super rare, it's kind of rare, but a lot more than I've ever found before. So it's got a bunch of petrified wood in it. And so this is sort of a very active river and lake environment where you had a lot of erosion coming off of the mountains nearby. And all those mountains and everything were volcanic, so there's your source of silica. And also your source of rapid sedimentation. Okay. So you could go out there, just walk around and find that. Um, where you can go but not collect is the Petrified Forest National Park, which is also in Arizona.
1: The National Park is really amazing.
0: Oh, it's spectacular.
1: Uh, but a lot of people do try to sneak rocks out of there. And if you do, uh, <laughs> at some point, that rock will kill you. So
0: you've been to Petrified Forest, right? I have. So you've seen like their whole display in their visitor center, which is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Where they have all these tiny pieces of petrified wood that people took and then they send it back with letters of explanation saying how their lives have gone to hell, basically, since they stole this wood. And would you please take it back and lift the curse?
1: Yep. So don't take it it will mess with your life. (laughs) It's also illegal.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, So those are places you should visit. There's petrified wood localities everywhere. You can get online and try to find a local rock County place um, or local rock County group of people. And they'll let you know where to go get this stuff. It's super neat.
1: Absolutely. And I do apologize. Uh, One thing that I learned from our listener survey was I knew we had international listeners. Uh, The the percentage of international listeners was much higher than what I expected so unfortunately we, we can't tell you for your location uh, but that's something that we're going to be try, try to be a little bit more careful about is being slightly less North America centric in our discussions
0: uh, yeah that is absolutely true but I wasn't looking at you know petrified wood in Scotland where I've worked so but I'll travel around and find somewhere petrified wood for everybody right <laughs> if somebody's got to do it you know exactly
1: and i'm sure that some of our listeners also have found petrified wood close to them and we would uh, love to hear about that too
0: yeah absolutely
1: well without further ado i think we should probably move on to our favorite segment of the show fun paper friday
0: yay cowbell
1: cowbell's back because i'm Still here.
0: <laughs> I was I was waiting to see how you were going to tie this all together.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah, so that's a that's a nice hint. This came from a listener, I believe it was listener Daryl, who sent this in to us. <laughs> and it is designing tie knots by random walks. And this was submitted as a short article by Think and Mao.
0: Right. Um, So this was their nature article. There follows a longer article in Physica A, but that was too much computer modeling for me. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I didn't understand what random walks meant. I just thought that meant they were walking around and figured out some new ways to tie ties. But of course, that wouldn't get it in nature. So no, that's not what this means. It means that we took this tie tying to the nerdiest level that it could possibly be taken (laughs)
1: I love this.
0: I know you do.
1: <laughs> so anybody that's worn a tie, uh, the classic knot is the Windsor knot.
0: Yeah, but you look real pretentious walking around with a Windsor knot.
1: Right. So then there is the half Windsor knot. Right.
0: So that's the one everyone knows.
1: <laughs> and then after, you know, 50 years pass, uh, finally we get a new knot, the the Pratt knot.
0: So I've never seen this, but I thought that's awesome that in 50 years, no one figured out how to tie a tie any differently.
1: Yeah. So I actually, uh, when I was going on some interviews and things, would look up a bunch of different ways to tie ties of course and try different would. ones.
0: <laughs> How's the Pratt knot different from the Windsor knot? If you look at the pictures, I can't quite figure it out.
1: Yeah, it's... I'm not even gonna to try to describe because I couldn't <laughs> tie it right now without looking at directions. <laughs> it, it's not like the half Windsor where everybody can do it blindfolded.
0: Uh, don't you usually wear bow ties though? So this I seem- do
1: wear bow ties a lot. Uh are they all which Are difficult to tie, and <laughs> uh, there's a great video tutorial by Bill Nye.
0: Oh my goodness! Of course there
1: is. <laughs> so, uh, so we only have a few tie knots that you see commonly and these folks said well we can do better than that Uh, we we can math and so first they needed a mathematical system a set notation to define all the different moves that you can do with the the active end of the tie
0: Right, so we've got to figure out um, the directions that things are going, which this is a fantastic set of coordinates.
1: Right, so you've got the... After you cross the active end over the the passive end, the little end (laughs) that will be hidden, (laughs) you have a left quadrant, a right quadrant, and a center... Well, I guess they're not quadrants. no. There are only three. You have a left area, a right area, and a center area.
0: <laughs> That's right. But you have movement too, right? Because either you're going out of the shirt or into the shirt in terms of which direction the active end is moving.
1: And I love this because they use the standard vector notation of a circle with a dot in it for out of the shirt and a circle with an X in it for into the shirt.
0: I also love that. I was like, this is great. Like as a geologist, because I do this when I talk about rivers. I'm like, oh, I get these, I get these notes.
1: <laughs> and if someone has never seen this dot and X notation before, it all became clear because I just had memorized it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then one day somebody said, no, dummy, it's an arrow.
0: It is an arrow. If
1: it's coming at you, uh-huh. you just see the tip. If it's going away from you, you see the the tail feathers.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's how I describe it.
1: And then it all became clear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah wow you just memorized it
1: yeah i just said oh, okay dots dots uh dots at x is out I'm like sure that's mm. easy enough
0: okay it's called a fletchling fletching
1: fletching I, yeah it, it, it was probably i would say at least two semesters of physics before somebody said no it's an arrow dummy that's and
0: <laughs> awesome <laughs> and you're like i memorized it i don't need that okay anyway so now that we have left right center into and away from what comes next with this modeling juju
1: well so we have the set of that so there's right out in center out in left out in. so there's six different moves not counting the final move which is t for through the the tying final part right okay Uh, so six things that are going to be transposed into any order Mm -hmm. and because you can describe anything as a vector in an arbitrary vector space right right so you can create uh unit vectors i hat or sorry l hat r hat and c hat Mm -hmm. and this three-dimensional move space.
0: Okay, into, out of, yep.
1: Right. And so with that, you can come up with an arbitrary number of combinations of the moves that will make a complete knot. So you you don't want to do, like, left out of, left into, because that undoes itself, right?
0: Doesn't do it. Yeah, right, exactly.
1: So you, you eliminate those... And what this really is, is it's not a pure three space. It makes this triangular mesh of moves that you can do. Mm -hmm. And so you follow randomly from one node of this graph to the next node of this graph. And as long as it meets some certain criterion, this is a knot. They put some further constraints on, though, and said it has to be a symmetric knot, because if it's not a symmetric knot, all of the kids are going to make fun of you.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. I love that this is like modeling with an aesthetic.
1: Right. So in this uh, table, table one, they've come up with quite a few knots that simply don't have names. Because as far as we know, they've never been tied before, except by somebody that probably did a goof up of <laughs> tying one of the real ones. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that they cut themselves off, because you could just keep going with this, but they, the length of the tie is the limiting factor, <laughs> and you're not. Right. <laughs> so you can't really keep going.
1: <laughs> so you characterize the knot by its half winding number, its center number, and the center fraction this is so, they uh, they have some recipes here. those a sequence uh, up to nine steps, which seems... <laughs> you, you think... So, the Windsor's eight steps. You think that's pretentious.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
1: Uh, I am very... So, there's uh, the four-in-hand knot, the Pratt knot, and the half Windsor. Those are each more complicated than the last. Mm-hmm. Uh, in between those, though, there are a few sequences that... I'm, I am I want to try.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask if you'd actually tried any of these.
1: And also, when you look online for tie-tying directions,
0: mm-hmm. the
1: graphics are generally terrible.
0: <laughs> this is what you need. You need this. Why don't they out. just give you
1: this <laughs> sequence thing? <laughs> left dot, R cross, C dot, T. I can tie that.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> this just speaks to the importance of... Teaching to different people's learning styles. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> some people need graphics. Some people need a ridiculously complex physics table to figure this
1: out. <laughs> I, I don't even think it's that complex. It actually this is it's not at all. <laughs> t- to me, the fact that you can describe a very complicated knot with eight English characters, yeah, is the epitome of conciseness and efficiency.
0: <laughs> so, here, kid, uh, you're 16 time for you to go go to this mock job interview there you go lcr lcr lct go get it yep <laughs> oh man hopefully my kid will have or your kid will have my phone number and i'll, I'll take care of this
1: <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's hard to do you know you tie it on yourself but try to make it the right length for someone else it, it's not oh
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's real tough. We have that problem here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This was pretty cool. I will say that table was super easy to read, and I'm totally stealing one of my husband's ties to try this.
1: Yeah. So uh, thanks for sending this in, and if you try any of these knots, we would love to see photos.
0: (laughs) We sure would. Uh, Send us your ties. (laughs) Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Um, post it on Twitter. These are these are bound to be hilarious. I really want to see this nine, number nine one. Okay, so somebody needs to do this. Um, I, I want
1: to see the knot that's as big as your fist. Yes,
0: exactly. With your <laughs> tiny little tie hanging down there. <laughs> uh, do that on our Twitter account, please. Set us up at Don't Panic Geo. John is at Geo underscore Lehman. You can send him all his mispronunciations corrections. And I am <laughs> at Shannon Doolin.
1: <laughs> and until next week, remember.